Yeah. yeah. All right, here we go. So let's start off with the first one. Uh, we'll start with a softball, why don't we? That's right. Uh, here's a softball. So how do we as believers reconcile the God and the reality of the Old Testament with the God and the reality of the New Testament? How do we reconcile the Old Testament and everything that is that encompasses that with the God of the New Testament? Ready? Go. Go for it. I think you can you start this All right, I'll start yeah. this one. All right. So one of the things I really like to help preface this question is to really identify the fact that we aren't talking about two separate gods. We're talking about okay. one God. And so really what we have to start with, and, and whenever I come to a question in the scriptures where it seems like there's a contradiction or it seems like there's something of a differing opinion, I start with I'm wrong. And it's not, God isn't wrong. There's nothing wrong with God. There's nothing confusing about God. And he's not relaying, relating himself differently in either one of the Old or New Testaments. I have a misunderstanding of who God is. And so what we have to also understand is when we interpret the scriptures, and this very question kind of identifies the fact we're coming at trying to understand God from a very westernized, American, pragmatic ideology. And so that's not God. Like, God is not western. He is not ideological, and nor is he American. He's not, he's not American. <laughs> exactly. Not like, American. So we're trying to fit him into a politically correct world, yeah. and that's not God. And so we have to understand the Old Testament is a, is a picture of a broken relationship between man and God started at the creation. And so when we read the Old Testament, it's through that lens to understand that God is trying to paint a picture of his holiness and righteousness and how far short man has fallen of that. Then in comes the New Testament, and it paves a new way for us to relate with God. It's still the same God, but there's a new process of how we relate to him, and we have to understand the work that Christ did for us on the cross sealed and fixed that relationship that was broken in the God of the Old Testament. It's still the same God. The righteous, holy God is still the same righteous, holy God of Old and New Testament. And the same judgment that we experience, I mean, um, Ananias and Sapphira died in the New Testament because of a holy, righteous God. Um, and we failed. Over lying about their Over lying about their money. Just, just throwing that out how there. They, how uh. they gave. Uh, you know, so... We just have to understand the premise and the presuppositions that we're bringing. When we even yeah. ask that question, it's usually driven by a very Americanized, politically correct um, melding of trying to identify who God is. Let, yeah. me, let me throw this caveat, because yeah. we didn't talk about this first service, and I, I was curious to dive into this a little bit more. What do we do with the parts of the Old Testament where we read and like you'll see like God's like, go kill all those people and their parents, and their firstborns, and the dogs, and the goats, like, kill them all. What, like, how do I read that and be like, yeah, go God. Like, you talked a little bit about kind of like the, the, <laughs> go God. the sex, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So like, how do we, how do I, how do I read that and be like, yeah, I believe that, that's cool. Like, yeah. how do, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Did you want to answer that one, or do you want me to touch on that one? Uh, well, I was just going to say from the, well, I'll say my thing, and then we can both try to answer that. Um, I think, I think again, it goes back to, even Don said it, the lens by which, uh, and I had to look up that guy because I forgot the name of that guy. Marcioni. So, yeah, it's, Mar is it Marcioni. What is it? I can't say it. Uh, Marcionianism. Okay. And the reason I, I said that, the reason I brought this up is because this is uh, year 144. Okay. So this is um, 100 plus years after the, the, the death and resurrection, resurrection of Christ and the forming of the New Testament, forming of, the, of even uh, bringing together the New Testament letters and the Old Testament uh, Jewish scriptures. Um, so even then, I want you to know this is not a new concept. That back in the year 144, uh, it's Marcion of Sinope. 
Yeah, just don't name your you children. You definitely pronounced that correctly. I definitely <laughs> pronounced that correct. Um, but you know, he even he was trying to to convince the church um, that these two, the Jewish scriptures and the Christian literature, uh, did not speak about the same God. They were two different gods. That hey, he had a really whacked out theory, and and of course the church rejected it because it wasn't true. Um, and so I just want you to hear that. That's not a new sort of American thing, even though even though what Don right. said is true. We do read it with our Western eyes. And so um, it's been happening for a long time. Uh, I, I look at it from a standpoint of, uh, at least when I have conversations about it, because the writer of Hebrews says uh, that God through Jesus is the same today uh, and yesterday and forever. And the Old Testament and New Testament speak of the same God, and it speaks of the same uh, teaching and uh, characteristics of God. We just have a, a different lens by which how we read these things and how they are actually spoken about. So it's very similar to um, the idea of fire. You know, fire will burn you and torture you, right? Fire can also create warmth and, and comfort you, or it can burn you or torture you. So it really depends on your relationship with the fire in which you're going to experience what fire does. And so the Old Testament does have a great deal in it where it's highlighted in terms of God's justice and his wrath, but it doesn't change the fact that, that justice is the same in the New Testament. Uh, we just, through the New Testament lens, is through the lens of Jesus Christ in terms of, you know, the highlight or at least the, the emphasis on the love and grace of God. You know, there's so many Old Testament scriptures that talks about God's mercy and his patience and his compassion and his grace. So it's not a different God. That's, I mean, that, that would be, I would say it's a different time. You are talking about thousands of years thousands of years and many, many, many cultures from the time you start reading the Torah to the time you're talking about the, the, you know, the, the New Testament church uh, and, and the first generation church, even into Revelation, which again goes into time. So you are talking about a large amount of time. And, and sometimes I think people don't understand that you know, they can go from a chapter to a chapter and that's hundreds of years. They can go from a book to a book and there's a thousand years. And you'll highlight, maybe it'll highlight a judgment that's happening. But it doesn't mean that that judgment wasn't preceded by hundreds of years of, of God pleading and giving mercy and sending prophets and sending uh, you know, people to, to challenge them and to say, confess and repent. So I think that's the part that sometimes we miss in, uh, in context. Now, Don mentioned it this morning, and I would say that's true. I don't always reconcile very well um, what people you know, talk about in terms of the genocide they read in the Old Testament. I do understand that in a nomadic society, especially when that was happening, um, that wars and, 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 and the issue of war and how land was possessed and everything else was all very much, you know, that was all very common uh, for them. The fact that God gave specific directions to his people, um, I do have to trust and believe that that was done for a reason. I do have to trust and believe, and you gave a, a good example of that this morning. Yeah, so think about the way that the culture ex existed back then, and when you would go in and war against a land, uh, you, would, you would dominate that land. And back then, whatever that land or country was, um, the king or pharaoh of that time was a representation of God incarnate, their God incarnate. And so they would come in and defeat that land, and then when the victor would come in and rule over that land, the people that were captive were expected to worship the dominant God. Mm -hmm. And so what God did, because that was the culture that was there, God was the God, Yahweh. There was no other God. Every knee shall bow him. So it's still one God. And so to wipe out these other nations, what it was saying is you're getting rid of all other gods. And knowing that if you don't get rid of them, 
they're not going to get rid of their gods. And so it, with the genocide that, that we oftentimes struggle with, especially in our American ideological thinking, um, it seems like a very unjust God. But if just you don't have to believe this way. This is just another way that some scholars right. um, think about this, is if God is a merciful God, which I would say that he is, and wiping out children who have not yet reached that age of accountability, has he not saved them? Because had they reached adult age, they would choose to reject God. By having them cleansed of the earth before that, now they're in the kingdom of heaven in the presence of God. Just one other theory that's out there that most people don't think about. Okay, that's just an option. Right? I, I'm not God. I don't understand all of it. I can't, I can't put myself around all of God's nature and his creation and his characteristics. But I know that the Old Testament is a picture of man constantly falling short of the righteousness and the holiness of who God is. And the cleansing was always, 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 always because God was not being honored. In all those areas where there is a genocide that yeah. we view as a, being an actual genocide, um, it was always a cleansing of the land because they were not worshiping God as Yahweh. And God always, and this is why we get upset about this, because in our, in our world today, nobody wants to say that God is the only way to get to heaven. And God declares over and over again, from Genesis to Revelation, there is one way to get to him. Mm -hmm. And that is a way that the world struggles with. And I'm just going to tell you right now, you're going to a church that believes there's only one way to get to God. Yep. All right? And that's what the world struggles with, has always struggled with, and why God said, worship me. And I would, the last thing I would say is that if you want to see the opposite of that, if you want to understand the the conflict that was that, that God was trying to avoid for his people, then just start reading in the book of Joshua when they crossed over into the land and read through Joshua and Chronicles and First Samuel. Like, watch all the problems that they had to consistently deal with because they did not remove the gods from the land. Yep. Yep. So if you read through Joshua and understand that they, they, they were supposed to drive them out and get rid of them, and they were like, well, they're in the mountains, they can stay. Right. You know, and so that was, a, that was a problem. And so you can go read even some of the wisdom of that. I would also say from the standpoint of the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, understand that it was given to us for, it was, it's the Jewish historical scriptures. That's why it mattered so much. That's why it was preserved as well. It's their historical record, not just God's word for them. And so, you know, a lot of what was written in the Old Testament, as you read it as a narrative in terms of the, the, the historical figures and stories, it's done to tell us what did happen, not what should happen, okay? So when you read yeah. the stories of polygamy and you read all these things, yeah. do not read it as, well, that's what God was perfectly fine with because he didn't strike them all down with lightning immediately. No, it was, a, it was the context of what did happen, not what should right. necessarily happen. Yeah. yeah, good. So, good. Yeah, there's a lot Good more question. Can... Good question. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> uh, we can talk a lot more about that, but go. I want to jump to another question. This is yeah. one that just came in a minute ago. This is a good one. Uh, and these guys haven't seen these. Yeah, first service was different than... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so are humans capable of righteous anger? Righteous anger? Are humans capable of righteous anger? What do you think? I'd say yes, because we're made in the image of God. Yeah? I think that based upon our human nature, that we might classify our anger as being righteous when it's really not. Maybe let's talk for sure. a second. Are we capable yeah, of it? Yes, say, right. Maybe talk for a second the difference between like a regular anger <laughs> and like a righteous anger. Like how would you define that? Uh, I would go with New Testament where it says correct. be angry and sin not. That's correct. Um, 
the scriptures in no way indicate that we're never supposed to be angry. It says that we're supposed to be angry and then not enter into sin. And Jesus so, was angry. Right. So when we, we enter into sin is yeah. when I'm mad at you and I want to kill you. Well, Jesus right. said, that's wrong. Now I'm taking vengeance <laughs> upon my own self, and God's very clear, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So how do we navigate through that feeling of being angry in a God-honoring way? And I think that's where the righteousness comes in, is why are we indignantly righteous? Well, when someone abuses a child, I believe that is a righteous anger where how can someone do that to an innocent baby or an innocent child or an innocent mm -hmm. person? And then I'm righteously angry because that innocence was now taken from that individual because of some perpetrator of that innocence. So I believe that's a righteous way to be angry. Now, yeah. what I do to that person, right, that's, <laughs> or yeah. what I want to do to that person, right. is where the righteousness can quickly leave the building. Well, maybe the confusion here, not confusion, but maybe the question is coming from righteousness can't come from a person. No. Oh, right? That's, yeah, not the, that's, that's not the situation. I would, I would say yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, was my, my answer to that was that I agreed, yes, we can, but we only can in terms of walking with the Holy Spirit and having the Holy right. Spirit within us actually dictating what that is. Because you guys just don't get angry enough. You don't know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but I, I would definitely say that that's true, but I, I, would, I would emphasize that on the fact that you know, the, the righteous anger in you does not come from you. Right. It comes from God in you that actually would even cause you to think that way or cause right. you to feel uh, feel that. And then again, I, I agree with Don, like what you do with that is where the problem usually lies, not with the root of whether it's righteous anger or not. Yeah, that's yeah. good. 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 Um, here's another one. This might be like a part one and part two, but we'll, because okay. we just had two more come in. Uh, so here's one. And this touches a little bit on a series we're doing in a couple weeks. So this is a little bit of a plug for a series we got coming up. Um, but here's a question. Uh, when we die, yep. right? When we die, where do believers go? Do we sleep in our graves waiting for resurrection or do we go to heaven? It's a great Scott. question. <laughs> yes. I would say yes. <laughs> I haven't met anyone yet. You want, you want uh, my 20-year-old Donnie answer? Yeah, my, I'll say. My 35-year-old Donnie oh, answer? 40. My 45-year-old Donnie answer? Uh, which one do you want? Which version? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I believe when people fall asleep and they wake up, they wake up in the presence of the Lord. Is what the well, so says. we're doing a series in a couple weeks. We're doing a series in a couple weeks on eternity, right? The, the base we're doing a week on heaven, we're doing a week on hell, and some stuff in between, yeah. right? Uh, which is kind of this question, right? Yeah. And part of uh, uh, what we'll talk about is there's a lot, because there, we can't empirically prove, which is a lot of people yeah. uh, who come to us, and, and a lot, you know people yourself who have problems with faith because they can't put their hands on it, but can't grab their hands around yep. it. And that causes a real problem for them. And so the goal is not to prescribe. And, and that's the discussion we're having today is, is there are some things that we can say, you know, here's what the Bible says about it, and that's our perspective on it. There's other things that will be more of a, well, some people say this, some people say that. Right. And that's kind of the perspective yeah, on this. So I'll give you two perspectives. One that I was taught when I was a child is that we were going to go to heaven and we're going to sing forever yep. and sit on a cloud. And I didn't ever want to go to heaven. Like that sounded horrible to me. That's like, horrible, I've got to sing horrible the rest idea. of my yeah. life. Like, that's torture. Why would I ever want to sing? Like, that's just, ah. Oh. So I started a journey. Like, God, you've got to teach me what heaven's going to be like because I don't want to do that for eternity. And I, and I mean, I'm genuinely serious. Like, if any of you are non-singers, like, that just is not heaven. Like, those of you that are worship people, you don't understand how that doesn't appear how to be heaven. the non-singers, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, ugh. But then as I, I really, now my 46-year-old person Rest upon what Jesus said mm -hmm. to the thief on the cross. Today you will Today. be with me in paradise. Yep. 
Now, we don't know where paradise is. We don't even know what that looks like, but it is in the presence of Jesus. Yep. And so he said that to a person who was making a commitment to follow him at the moment before death occurred in his life. Yep. So I do know that people can make last-minute decisions based upon Jesus' answer, and I do know that based upon Jesus' answer to him, that we're going to be in his presence. Now, where that is and what that looks like, well, then that's why I don't know. That's, that's where you get into all these other opinions. I don't believe the final heaven has been created because according to the Revelation, it says there's a new heaven and a new earth that's going to be created. Yep. Um, we aren't there yet because we still suffer with sickness and disease. Yep. The new heaven and the new earth is diseaseless yep. and deathless. Well, obviously we're not there yet. Yep. So the new heaven and new earth haven't been created. So until then, I know when my spirit dies, I go to be in the presence of Christ. Why? Because that's what Jesus said to the dude on the cross that wasn't a good man. Yeah, that's good. I would, the only thing I would say is that I've, I've had the arguments and all the soul sleep and all sorts of other stuff. And, I, you know, again, you've got to take Jesus and you got to take the Scripture at its word that um, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 12 says uh, that we are surrounded by a great cloud of, cloud of witnesses. Um, and so when people, you know, kind of, in, you know, kind of picture their, their grandma looking down on them and, and praying for them, you know, there's, 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 there's Scripture to support all that, right? There's Scripture to support the, the understanding of that. Now there's lots of imagination attached right. to it. But there's scripture to support um, all of those things. And so if you believe that, you know, that you're going to sleep and then the second coming comes and you rise, great. As far as you're concerned, th that will be today for you. Right. Uh, that, you know, that will be what that is. And so um, I think that just goes back to, um, you know, hear, hear all the folkology of Christians trying to fill in gaps, but always go back to God's word and what does God's word say? And I believe it says we'll be present with them. Yeah. yeah. Good. Here, here's like a part two. This might be a brief. This is meant to be a briefer one. And I love <laughs> how this be. is. I, well, I love how this is phrased. Ghosts. Do they exist? And if they don't exist, why do so many people have? Uh, do they have experience with them and evidence of them? We talked a little bit about this yeah. last service. I think they absolutely exist. And if you ask that question, and you, if you've never seen one, then you're going to say no, they don't. Jesus was walking on the water, going out towards the boat. They thought he was a ghost. And they thought he was a ghost. He yeah. didn't say, you idiots, there's no such thing as ghosts. He's like, no, no, don't be afraid, <laughs> it's me. So obviously in this world of spirits, now I, I don't necessarily believe that they're necessarily ghosts, I would believe that there would be spirits, and then there's a whole host of other, uh, other beliefs things. around yeah. that that's yeah. not worth going into. Yep. But there is a spiritual world that exists around us that I believe that a ghost would be I'm laughing. They just ghosts? ghosts? Just like ghosts? Oh, gotcha. Ghosts? Way to be efficient, Shin. Yeah. Got it. It's a uh, good. Yeah, exactly. Good job, Shin. We, uh, we live in a spiritual world. The, the spirit world exists. It's got yes. the inflection. Ghosts? Yeah. What well, would have been better if you could have had something like... Yeah. That's good. I'm not, I'm not oh. saying... I, I don't think it's Casper. Okay? Oh, so, I mean, I, again, going back to it, I don't think it's quite the paranormal infatuation that our culture has come up with, um, but there's absolutely um, uh, the, the powers and principalities and invisible things of, uh, that God has warned us about. Now, he didn't, well, he's conquered those things, but, but they are present. And so, um, you, know, you know, American culture, we talked about a little bit this morning, yeah. American culture wants to kind of get rid of all the things that are kind of mystical or unexplained. Um, unless we're fascinated by it and try to figure it out. But at the end of the day, like, you know, go, to, go anywhere else in the world, and they absolutely first positively believe um, in spiritual aspects and spirits themselves. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say yes. That's good. Yeah. Uh, next question. This is more of kind of a practical insider baseball, a little bit of folks who have been in church. So 
Uh, question is, why do churches today yep. go into debt to buy a building when the Bible clearly talks about the dangers of debt and the borrower being slave to the lender? What are your thoughts on that? What was the question again? Why do churches go? Why do churches today go yeah. into debt? Why do they go into debt? Yeah. Um, okay. I think it's because they they feel they have to. I think there's a difference between functional debt, obviously, in the, in terms of what Scripture talking. About. Scripture does not say that going into debt is a sin. Let me go ahead and let me go ahead and borderline Dave Ramsey uh, some of you. Um, it does not say it's a sin to go into debt because, as a matter of fact, it, you know, there's a great deal in Scripture written to those who are called to pay their debts. Okay? Now, not paying your debts is listed as wicked, so you do not want to be wicked and not pay your debts. But the issue is not that it's a sin to go into debt. Now, what the Scriptures tell us is that there is incredible wisdom in not going into debt, in not having to owe people money, and not having to change relationships and, and change how you do things because of the debt-debtor uh, relationship. And so that's, that's kind of where I would come at it from a church standpoint. Um, I think it's the same thing as anything else. You know, debt is one of those things that can be very functional. Um, it's functional when you buy your first home. It's functional when you, uh, when, when you have to, when, when medical emergency arise and you can't afford the $700,000 medical bill. And so debts, there's a functional aspect of debt. Um, I think churches are, need to be good stewards of the debt that they do choose to enter. Uh, meaning that from a church standpoint, um, you should not be entering a debt um, that is going to change the nature of, of what you can and cannot handle in terms of, of financially. I will tell you that when we moved into this building, um, you know, we were, it was 2008, 2009. Remember those awesome days? All right. Um, the banks were shutting everything down. They weren't even loaning money to churches. And we ended up, you know, getting a loan from a, a local bank and they were working with us through, you know, our, our, the health of our stewardship of our congregation. And, and when we did it, there was, a, there was a line. There was a line in which the banks and us sort of landed on and said, okay, we, we really will only borrow this much money. Um, and I'm sure it was to the very extent of what we could afford. Um, but I think that's, again, going back into you have to use wisdom and and understanding that. And, and I, I, listen, I'm a firm believer. We teach Dave Ramsey here. Um, I, I've always been a firm believer in the, in the goal to be out of debt. You know, what's his famous phrase? You live, um, you live, live like, like no one else, else so you can, later live, so like you no can live like no one else. I absolutely believe in that. If you can be debt-free, be debt-free. Um, but I've also never shunned anyone for the understanding that functional debt is something that um, just happens and, and it sometimes needs to happen. So, and I would just add yeah. to that because I agree with that as well. Yeah. That there are times where there we have to leverage wisdom and leverage um, assets. And so, anytime you're building a business, you have to understand asset management. And if you don't understand asset management, you're not going to be able to leverage the wealth that God has given you. And so, there's many people that have incredible wealth and they do nothing with it because they're going to be living debt free and they want to prepare for and build their storehouses to. And God speaks directly against that as well. And so um, I think there's got to be wisdom in stewarding the assets that God has given to us. Um, there's a wicked servant that uh, is talked about that God, that Christ praises. Yeah. Because he was the, the, he shrewd, was the lazy shrewd manager. And he mismanaged the funds. And then the boss was going to fire him. And before he got fired, he went out and cut everybody's debts in half. And then he had a job waiting for him when he got away from the guy that was firing him. And then God, Christ praised him for his wisdom. And so there's, I just caution people from making theological statements of like this and building your whole 
idea of finances around one or two verses. Yeah. Um, we've got to look at the whole picture, and I think that there's wealth management. And this is, this is a passage of Scripture that was written in a culture where every seven years their debts were forgiven. Um, so they're talking about a culture that's vastly different than the mm -hmm. American culture. Uh, every 50th year, all debts were could wiped you, out. Could you your, imagine if... Your asset <laughs> management... Yeah, your asset Every management was based upon a 50-year redemption of full value being brought back to the table. Right? We don't live in that no. world. So we can't just make a theology based upon a couple passages of Scripture. And so yeah. um, now Dave Ramsey might not like me, but I don't know. No, but that's, I, thought, I thought Matt made a really good distinction of the difference between a commandment and wisdom. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. In, in, in the New Testament, we have to recognize when we're reading, are we reading a... Uh, a commandment of Jesus saying, you must do this versus there's wisdom, there's wisdom in, in these that. things. So that's yeah. good. That's very now, good. Now, overextending yourself is an entirely horrible idea. Yeah. And buying stuff just for you, like that's not, like think asset management and wealth management and building businesses, not going into stupid debt. Stupid debt, like you want a new TV and you can't afford it? Don't go buy a new TV. Yeah. <laughs> you want a new car and you can't afford it? Don't go buy a new car. Buy a used car. Right. Yeah. You know, th it's about what can you afford and what can you leverage to be able to build into the kingdom of God. Everything needs to be driven by how am I going to expand the kingdom of God? So why would a church do that? Because they believe that if they leverage the assets that God's given them to manage and manage well, sure. then they believe that they're expanding the kingdom of God. Yep. If they don't have that mindset, then you probably should go find another church that is <laughs> right. thinking about what you're giving money, yeah. then we should manage that to expand the kingdom Correct. of God and serve you well. Yeah, that's good. Um, let's jump to one that we had from a couple different people. This is kind of a nerdy question, so warning, here it comes. Um, and this is, I think it's, we got this from several people, just kind of having, wanting a little bit more information about kind of the nature of the Bible. And so uh, the question is essentially, how did the Bible come to be? Who got to have input on how it got to come to be? And then what was anything that was not included, like left out? And there's a, I mean, this is a sermon series, folks. So yeah, this we'll, is a we college do, course. Yeah, <laughs> which is not a bad series. thing. It's good to understand kind of where it comes from. Yeah. Um, but we can kind of talk about a little overview. Let me give you a quick summary. Um, came together over a very long period of time. Uh, the Jewish scriptures, especially Jewish scriptures, came together over a very long, long period of time. They believe it was uh, Ezra and Nehemiah was kind of that that yeah. that crux where everything sort comes of comes together yeah. for the but for the, the Jewish the uh, yeah. Um, in the New Testament, you're talking about several hundred years of of it coming together in terms of uh, there was a couple of councils involved and um, uh, I know we talked we talked about it one series before. But there was a couple of councils involved. There's criteria. There's several criteria. Sometimes you'll read a basis of three. Sometimes there's five listed as criteria as to, as to who got, you know, what sort of criteria fell in place for um, the New Testament uh, scriptures. And so I think, I think the biggest thing when people ask this question is um, they're, they're just wondering. They're just wondering how in the world something like this, which is so complex, can be um, sort of stamped with the idea that it's, it's all God's infallible word. Um, especially when man was involved, especially when man was involved. Um, I think, you know, part of this is going to be the nerd, nerd out if you really want to do that. We've, we can send some resources to you. We can talk with you about that. Um, there's a, it, it is astounding what God did over, over centuries to bring mm -hmm. his word together and to preserve it, uh, which I'll let Don kind of speak into. But, but it's astounding. 
There's also the nature of the fact that, that uh, many, many people approach the Bible as literature, okay? They just approach it as literature. And, uh, and, and, for, and for you or for me as a follower of Christ, in terms of pr- approaching God's Word as, as His Word, as His living, active, breathing Word of God, um, we are, in essence, it's Romans 8, I believe, we are, in essence, trusting that the Holy Spirit is speaking to our spirit about what is true, okay, about what is true. And that's why it's, it's always in concert with God's Word that we hear from God. Um, many, many people in our culture just want to just wanna feel like God put a rubber stamp of, yes, that's me, on a thought or a feeling they have um, because they believe, well, God, I feel this way, so God, is that you speaking to me? And it usually, pretty, usually it's pretty quick that we're like, yeah, absolutely, that's totally what God's saying. And so um, that's why it's always in concert with God's Word, that God's Word, um, not just from the supernatural standpoint of why it still exists and why it's here for us, um, but the fact is that we, ha- we are spiritually reading and listening and understanding. Um, I can't remember the scripture, but um, I think Paul says at the end of the day, people can read and people can hear, um, and without spiritual eyes to see or ears to hear, they're not going to understand any of it. Yep. And so that's you got to kind of walk down both paths of the fact that there is something spiritual at stake in terms of reading God's Word as the infallible Word of God uh, and not just looking at it like another encyclopedia that you go to uh, to look up a concordance of where I'm looking up adultery, what's it say? And then you go, you know, on your little uh, encyclopedia hunt, you know. Anyway, we were talking about that before. I want to let you yeah, speak so just in terms I of... Yeah, so I go off on the yeah. neat Greek geeking out on it and the nerd yep. side of it a little bit more um, just because of the archaeology that goes into discovering all of this. And so what you're talking about in this um, discovery of the scriptures is the canonization of the scriptures. Yep. Um, and so in the Old Testament... Um, we have Jewish culture, all right? So you have the Septuagint, the Torah, those things, the Pentateuch, those things were handed down from generation to generation. And fortunately, we have uh, authors and historians like Josephus and Pliny mm-hmm. the Younger and some other ancient historians that all point to, as well as Jewish culture, and if you know anything about the Jewish culture, they're very uh, emphatic about the history that they keep and all of the information that they keep. Um, and so we have what the original Jewish texts look like when they came to an end, when they assumed that God had stopped speaking to them, mm. there was about a 400-year intertestamental period. That's why the Pharisees were so dogmatic about crucifying Christ, is because he was violating that 400 years of, mm-hmm. of silence, and they were trying to hold on to the heritage of what was ended around ne- Ezra, Nehemiah, maybe Zechariah time. And so they were, they were holding on to with staunch, very dogmatic beliefs, uh, but there are other books that were written during that time mm-hmm. that didn't meet the criteria for being God's word, all right? And so then we have the New Testament, and so those were established, the Old Testament was much more established by Jewish culture because it's, yep. what, they, it's what they used, it's, who they, it's still what they use. Then we have the New Testament, and then the New Testament was more solidified by what we call the councils. Yep. And then you can go through and read the councils, but again, it's all about the canonization of the scriptures, but the really cool thing about the New Testament is this thing called archaeology. And so even if you just study the New Testament from an archaeological standpoint or a literary standpoint, we have the original manuscripts. And so then we have original manuscripts from the original church authors who pushed the church forward. And you've got to realize that up until about 1000 AD, there's only one church. Mm-hmm. So they only used one set of scriptures. We didn't mm-hmm. have the 264,000 denominations that we 
argue over what color carpet to use, <laughs> what kind of music to play. They had one church, and so they had one set of scriptures that were being used yep. and one set of scriptures that were being interpreted. So we don't, we have all that archaeological evidence, so we don't have to stand in confusion about yep. what is the book. Generally speaking, people that want to put that into question want to cause a believer to doubt that God actually authored the book. And so there's, there's all kinds of archaeology that you can study, but while you study the archaeology and you study Septuagint and you study manuscripts, all right, so that's the other word you want to throw in there is studying different types of manuscripts and the Masoretic text versus the other different texts. I can I massacre their names. Um, uh, but also study the, tr the councils. Yeah. Um, and then when you do that, yeah. Carthage. And Carthage. And study the, uh, early, uh, yep. the early church um, pastors like yeah. er, uh, Origen and uh, who was the other big guy? Uh, man, my brain is just drawing a blank right this second. But anyways, there's we have historical documents to help us understand where they came from. Mm -hmm. uh, but that, if you really want to get into that, you're going to want to study the canon. Yeah, and one of the reasons that there's not as much archaeological evidence for Old Testament stuff is because it was really um, predominantly oral tradition. Yeah. Yep. So a lot of it was from family to family, from generation yep. to generation. All of it was kept uh, in an oral tradition instead of writing it all down and having yep. it. Especially the early ones. But then we have the Dead Sea Scrolls that were very much physical evidence right. texts that really support oh, yeah. all of the ancient uh, oral tradition that was handed down. And those were physical discoveries that solidify the accuracy of what was passed down from generation to generation. Yeah, so all that's so, to say is there's there's a lot we could go on you there. You can really and geek out looking, on it. If you're me. looking for resources, <laughs> we'd love to, to point you in the right direction. So feel free to email us or, or just come talk to us and we'll, we'll point yeah. you in the right direction. Um, so as we're kind of coming to a close, let's, let's hit this one last question. I think yeah. this is a good one that... I think it's going to hit a lot. I know, it goes fast, right? Wow. Um, yeah. So there's... Uh, so I, two services. I know, yeah. you tell me about it. Uh, but this is something I think that's on a lot of people's minds because uh, with 2020 coming up. So the question essentially is, how do I make it through this upcoming political season yep. without poorly representing Christ? <laughs> and this is, this is kind of on Does this affect everyone? Is this no. everyone that wrote that question? That's a different response in first service. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of on both sides. It's people who are on the one side who, like, have the friends who kind of unfollow on Facebook for a while, you know what I mean? And they don't, I don't really want to touch that versus the people who, who have the moral imperative of, like, no, I need to, uh, uh, to stand up for what I'm, I'm feeling and what I'm believing. And how, how do you both do those two things while not poorly representing Christ while doing said thing? Yeah, you start that one. All right. Um, well, I love the way you ended it first, too. Okay. So I'll start with the very practical side. Yeah, so yeah. I gave the illustration of I'm one of my best friends. We yep. grew up together. We went to the same church together. We went to the same camps together. We even went to the same college for a period of time together. We're both pastors. I lean more towards the conservative side. He leans much more towards the, the liberal side of, of viewing things. There is no political stance that is ever going to... De divide me and my best friend Tim. There's nothing. He is one of my most close confidants. And there is nothing, there's no political opinion that is ever going to change my love for that man. And here's why. Because politics can be discussed in a God-honoring, respectful way. And so we totally disagree. And I, keep, I always tell him whenever we get done disagreeing that one day he'll realize I'm right. But until that day, I love him. And, that, and we joke because he says the same thing. But the reality is this. In order to honor God, in this political climate, it doesn't mean we avoid the conversations. Yeah. We have this amazing idea in America, in our politically correct world right now, that we have to agree in order to get along. 
man, if that was the case, I wouldn't even like myself half the time, all right? So we, agreement does not mean unity. Every great relationship in this world, I keep losing my mic, every great relationship in this world, every marriage, every solid, great relationship that has made it through is built upon figuring out how to disagree and stand united. That's called relationship. So we have to love, honor, and respect that other person when we do disagree with them. And I believe when we do that, then when we come upon an idea that we totally disagree upon, then we seek to understand their opinion versus listen so I can respond and tell them how they need to believe what I believe. I wanna honor their opinion. And when I genuinely do that, now we can come up with a solution to deal with the same conversation that we're having. But that just isn't the world we live in. We just wanna spout off our opinion and think everybody needs to listen to us and believe us. And that's just, that's not, that's not how it, that's not how it works. We have different opinions. We have different ideas. We have different personalities. And yes, our opinions are based upon what we think is right, which I genuinely believe you should have. But don't be so dogmatic that you demonize the other person because they look at life differently than you. That's how I... That's good. Practical. Very practical. Yeah, very, and Matt very practical. Matt sums it up in a great biblical way. I, you know, only because for me, this is a, this is a, a big a big part of our culture, and I know everybody's worried about the tension, all right? And, and part of this goes back to, um, it's not just your coworker that you're having this argument with, it's other believers, it's other Christians. It's other people that from your political perspective, you don't know how they could call themselves a Christian and follow this person or follow this ideology. Um, and Paul, Paul dealt with this, uh, you can go to Romans 14 if you just wanna read uh, the context. Uh, Paul was dealing with this with the church in Rome and the Christians in Rome, and they were, they were arguing about things that, that at the end of the day, um, there was like food you eat and shouldn't eat and should eat and days of the week you should worship on or shouldn't worship on, and he was just trying to help them understand um, that this arguing really wasn't accomplishing anything, nor should it uh, really be something to argue about. As a matter of fact, a couple of the verses is, in verse 1 it says, uh, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. In verse 10, it says, why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the scriptures say. And so I think where, you know, where I stand in this a lot of times is, and I, I literally read this post this morning, okay? So maybe you saw this on Facebook. I literally read this post this morning. Um, where it said, it was like somebody had posted, hey, we can believe differently on political opinions and still be friends, right? And the person wrote back and said, okay, but is your political opinion about how high a building should be? Or is your political, is, are we talking about political opinions about how, how, how high a building should be in our neighborhood? Or is it about when life starts for a child, right? Like, which, what are you really talking about when it comes to political opinion? Because, because of that, because we are going to weigh differences in terms of what we have moral issues with and what we have uh, issues with in terms of how maybe it conflicts with God's Word. And so, uh, in that, my, this is my challenge, okay, in terms of, again, the question is about how do we respond. Um, and that is that, um, first and foremost, I believe everything that you you know, put your belief and trust in should be rooted in God's Word. I believe it should be rooted, not an obscure passage from Jude, okay, or from uh, Revelation. I'm talking about like rooted in the whole of God's Word. Um, I, I would challenge you this. Um, if you think about during a political season, just think about how much you share in terms of what's written for you 
from a news article or a blog versus what you share in terms of scripture that was also written for you, okay? So just think about the ratio in terms of, well, I'm going to share this blog, I'm going to share this article, I'm going to share this that was written, and I'm going to agree, put my flag and attach it to that comment or that opinion or that agenda versus how much scripture do you choose to share that is like, well, that was written for me, and I'm going to put my flag on that, right? In terms of just in terms of what's actually shared in terms of how you respond. But the other, the other thing, I, you know, this is a big one, is that truth, okay, truth, truth is not one of the fruits of the Spirit, okay? So truth is not one of the fruits. It is on the foundation of truth that we live out the fruits of the Spirit, but truth itself is not one of the things that marks you in terms of the Holy Spirit living in and through you. All right, so, so just, just think through this. If you go to uh, Galatians 5, 22, and you look at those nine things that are listed, love, joy, uh, yeah, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, just write them down. You know, put them on a Post-it note, stick it in your car, stick it on your computer, somehow make it in the background on your phone, you know, um, and, and here's what you should do is that every opportunity you have to respond to people who disagree with you, I want you to think through your response with those things. Because honestly, it won't matter if you're right. Because it won't matter if it's true, if it is not expressed in such a way that it shows the Holy Spirit, that, the, that, these, that these fruits of the Spirit in you are being expressed. Right? So it doesn't matter if you're right or if, if it's true, if, if it's going to be rejected or if you're going to be the one that causes offense. Jesus is pretty clear about us causing offense ourselves. Now, the Word of God will cause offense, which is fine. Again, share Scripture. Do that. But when it comes to how you respond, just think through that. I mean, just work yourself through the, you know, love. Is it love? Is it joy? Is it peace? Is it kindness? Is it goodness? Is it gentleness? Is it faithfulness? Am I in control, self-control, when I respond? And you got to think about the, the model and picture of Jesus, right? Jesus is the example of someone who is speaking truth in such a way, just the only way that, that, again, just the example of those fruits of the Spirit, he's speaking truth in such a way to people that don't believe at all the way he believes. They are nothing like him. And yet he's at their homes. He's in the homes of tax collectors and other sinners and, and engaging with them in conversation and speaking the truth to them and allowing the truth of the Word of God, which was him, his truth, allow his truth to speak to to those folks. And so it's a, I know everybody's worried about the tension that's going to be created. I know there's several people in the room that you're, you're part of the problem. You caused the tension. Okay? <laughs> um, I just really want you to just think through Galatians 5.22. I want you to think through how you're feeding into this because you think truth, you think especially your truth, the way you interpret things, you think your truth is what matters most. And it's, that's, not, that's not true. Okay? It's the Word of God that matters. You should always have it anchored there. And then read through those nine. And even pick, we didn't talk about this last service, but yeah. I think one of the most important issues within within this conversation is the issue of identity. Oh yeah, is you're, you change your identity from being a child of Christ yeah. to being a person who stands for this. And one thing that I've I've heard a couple of people say recently that I think is 
incredibly thoughtful, and it's a great perspective of how we should be walking forward. It's, I'm not going to stand on an issue. I'm going to walk with people. Yep. Yeah. And Good. that's a big distinction of, you can, you can still hold something very dearly. This is something I'm going to fight for, and this is the group of people I'm going to fight for. This is a whatever. But I'm going to choose to walk with people. Like, what's what, what Donnie was talking about? I'm going to walk with people through a conversation yeah. or through a discussion, and I'm going to choose to, to uh, display the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit instead of being the one that has to be right in this situation because yeah. ex- you're exactly right. If, if that's all that's going to be across, it's not going to be received in the same way. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if God's church during this political season expressed the differences of opinions that we have in a way that expressed true love and unity? You know, kind of like what Jesus prayed that people, <laughs> yeah. would, people would know God by his people's love for one another. Wouldn't mm-hmm. that be a beautiful thing? It doesn't mean that we're silent and we never talk about no. our opinions. It means that we love yeah. people through the process. Yeah. What an expression of God in the midst of being able to model this uh, mm-hmm. to, those, to the world around us. Yeah, that's great, guys. I think we've covered a lot of ground. We've actually got a bunch of questions that we weren't able to get to. We're going to hit those in some upcoming Q&A, so don't worry. We're going to talk about those as well. Uh, But thank you guys for allowing us to kind of walk through this together. And uh, Matt, would you pray us out this morning? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to engage in these questions that I believe, um, not just from those who submitted them, but just are common uh, to all of us. I hope the questions that maybe that were brought up were helpful to everyone here in terms of uh, their spiritual journey, in terms of their walk. Um, God, I'm, I'm thankful that you never, ever shunned away people who wanted to ask you questions, especially through the example of Jesus. God, I'm so, I, I, there's so many times that I wish I could have been uh, just a part of that, just, just a fly on the wall to see Jesus and his disciples uh, sitting with tax collectors and sinners and people that the religious, uh, the religious party wouldn't even do anything to engage them. And there's Jesus engaging them, hearing their questions, sharing hope and love uh, with them as only Jesus could. And God, I'm, uh, I just wish that that was, such, that was such a picture of the church, of your church today. As Donnie said, like just the picture of this upcoming season, especially around politics, especially around cultural issues, um, that we as a church could respond just respond, not just with wisdom, but just through the, through those, the, the gift of you at work in us. God, thank you so much for uh, this church. I'm so thankful for uh, today, and I really do pray, God, that something out of your word, something that was spoken today, uh, if anything was spoken that was just our opinions or our thoughts and, and wasn't of you, just cast it from our mind immediately. Um, But God, that from you and through you and through your spirit, speaking to every single person here individually, God, I pray um, that you would be working in their heart and and transforming them to to look more and more like you so that when they leave here today, they're going to actually experience something this week that's going to change them, change the way they respond, change the way they think about you, change the way they engage others in their top five and those that they're engaging in a spiritual conversation. And so, God, we trust you. It's only by your power of your spirit um, that we pray all this in Jesus' name.